Hello everyone and welcome to Rad Chat, the multi-award-winning first therapeutic radiographer-led oncology podcast. Welcome to podcast number 113. My name is Norman Joker Anderson and I'm joined by fellow host Joe McNamara. Hi everyone. So a big thank you to our last guest, Chris Rigby, who talked about his experience of bowel cancer and returning to work within the NHS. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So before we introduce our wonderful guests for today, Joe and I would just like to give a huge, huge, huge thank you to Dr. Ben Potts and Adam Cook for helping with a new intro and outro music for us, along with a new jingle. Um, we thought it was time for a bit of a change, as not everyone knew that it was a radiotherapy Linac uh, sound, and it was a bit nerdy. So yeah, but a huge thank you to them for doing this for us, um, and we hope you like it. Give us some feedback, um, but yeah, anyway... So we're pleased to introduce our guest, Rihanna Rautlis-Andrew, who will be discussing her role as a dietitian in oncology. Hi, Rhi. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's great to have you on. Um, so if you wouldn't mind starting, Rhi, by telling us a bit about your career and how you got there. So my career, oh, it started, I guess, straight from university because I went to university and did a dietetics degree. So I came out and after a brief stint in uh, Southeast Asia traveling, um, got a job as a band five dietitian in a general district hospital. Um, and I guess my interest in oncology kind of started there. I did a few specialist rotations within oncology, um, but then somehow fell into renal nutrition. So kidneys um, and enjoyed three or four years doing that. Um, and then oncology kept creeping in. So even on the wards I covered, it was an oncology, urology ward. Um, and then decided, oh, back in 2020, towards the end of COVID, um, that's a bit of a blur those years, isn't it? Um, I wanted to make that sideways step into oncology. So, applied for lots of different jobs and ended up on a maternity cover contract um, where I work now and was told that often the temporary contracts turn into permanent contracts, which thankfully did happen because I really enjoyed my time um, and then decided to apply for a, so I went as a band six into the Marsden, a general oncology post, did a year as a head and neck lead dietitian, kind of stepping up in, as someone seconded, and then have recently, um, as of a week ago, started my new permanent position at the Marsden as senior specialist oncology dietitian, band seven, and I think the full title is lead critical care dietitian as well, um, which is currently lead of myself, but hopefully lead of two soon. So, and now I am set in oncology as a dietitian, I think hopefully for life, I'm sure my manager will be happy to know that I have no plans to go anywhere now. No more recruitment issues. She's there to stay. Hopefully. <laughs> Can I ask, firstly, congratulations, well done. Um, can I ask, what was it that drew you into dietetics all those years ago when you applied for university? Um, I think I always knew I wanted to do a job that involved people. 
um, and that kind of be in the forefront of the job. And so then I kind of, that led me down healthcare and I was a sciencey kind of brain. Um, so then I toyed with the different ideas of, you know, I, people told me I should be a doctor because you got good grades, you would did med school, but I was stubborn and didn't want to do what people told me you should do. So, and I also didn't want to do any more exams. Um, so decided against that, um, thought about doing physiotherapy, but had had enough injuries in my time to know that physiotherapy wasn't my thing. Um, and then it was actually, my dad had someone working with him who'd previously trained as a dietitian. And, um, so we researched it together, me and my dad and found, you know, this job that involved healthcare people and nutrition and food. And I enjoyed, you know, cooking and reading about things that, um, could improve your health and your sporting, etc. So it just, I don't know, it suddenly just clicked. I was like, that's what I want to do. And I think it it's, I've never really looked back. I think I've always actually been happy with that choice. Um, I think I've toyed around which bit of dietetics to get into um, until I got into oncology and I was like, I found it. Um, and I love it. I love working with people of all different areas and, you know, patients are fascinating people and you're always learning something new from them. So I would highly recommend anyone to work in healthcare. Um, personally, if you, if you're someone who likes talking to and meeting new people. Can I ask you something a bit random and specific about renal? What does a dietitian do in renal? So in renal, um, you work with patients with mainly chronic kidney disease and that's kind of like a pathway so your kidneys can deteriorate for many different reasons it could be genetics it could be a complication of another problem like diabetes um, so lots of different causes but you have different stages of kidney disease um, so you've mainly your dietitians get involved around stage three um, and that's kind of trying to preserve as much of the kidney function as possible. And then, and that's through kind of a healthy diet and lifestyle. So making sure your blood pressure is good, your weight's good, that you're eating a healthy balanced diet. Um, and then stay and stage four is very similar as well. Um, you're also doing a lot of nutrition support in the sense that the side effects of kidney disease can impact you on, um, your appetite, um, not feeling a bit nauseous or um, some taste changes. And you also added into that, you get the, the really kind of niche bit of renal is the electrolyte imbalances. So your kidneys are basically your body's filter. Um, and when they're not working as well, they're not filtering as well. So you can get electrolyte imbalances, which looks like your potassium going high, which can affect your heart. So that's a really important one. Um, and your phosphate can go high, which is a big um, component of what we call renal bone disease. So that's a big thing that affects your bones over time. Um, so there's a lot of input around managing those within safe levels. And then stage five kidney disease is your end stage. So you're on dialysis or an awaiting transplants. Um, and again, it's that specialist education around electrolytes um, 
it's your nutrition support to make sure people's weight's sustained because the dialysis machines actually really um, help. They really emphasize kind of muscle wastage because they take a lot of protein out of your body. Um, and just navigating a lot of conflicting advice as well, I think is, which I think you'll find in any area, a lot of it is navigating things people read between evidence-based practice, but also their different comorbidities, the different problems they've got, which may not always align in the nutritional advice. Um, I also worked in a centre that did post-transplant, so I got to learn a lot about kidney transplants as well. Um, it is a really interesting field. Um, I think I just had done my time and wanted something new. But I'm still the renal brain, apparently, in our department, so... Marie, what do you do in oncology? I think anyone in the NHS or healthcare knows that no day's the same. Um, but I guess a, the general day, our role is to be the expert in nutrition in our area. Um, so, so in oncology, for example, we, as I said, you know, we're navigating that um, that education. Um, and making sure that that is specific for our patient. Um, and we're, we're, so we're making sure we're giving kind of patient-centered advice. Um, and the main kind of purpose of that is to make sure that within oncology, that people are maintaining their weight and their strength through treatment um, so that they can they can tolerate their treatment or just keep their quality of life as good as possible for as long as possible. So we see patients. Um, so we, most of the dietitians in our department are both outpatient and inpatient. So we see patients acutely and well on the ward. Um, and we see patients, we have kind of specialists within our roles, but we also see patients across the different tumor groups. This might be post-surgical. It might be a complication of treatment. Um, it might be um, pre-surgical and trying to optimize them. So we see patients across the whole pathway from prehab right to palliative care. Um, and then we have our outpatient services as well, which again cover the whole treatment pathway. So we might be trying to optimize someone for their treatment or their surgery. It might be in that acute phase of treatment. So you know, today I was in our head and neck radiotherapy clinic where we're trying to make sure people are maintaining their intake and their weight through their treatment so that the you guys will know much more about this but you know so the mask fits um and we will also work with so we kind of do our patient specific roles um which is my favorite part because as i said patients are the best bit of the job aren't they you know getting them to reach goals getting to hear their stories getting to see smiles on their faces um so that's kind of our patient facing stuff. And then we obviously have our projects. Um, we work kind of, so we're like the nutrition advocates and educators. So we have training of the other members of teams and departments. We've got um, looking at audits and development pieces um, and also doing kind of like patient group education sessions for things like the Maggie Centre. Um, so the days vary. Um, and we also do a lot of different dietetic stuff. So we do our oral nutrition support and we do our enteral nutrition support, which is like the feeding tubes. And we do our parenteral, which is 
um, like an IV nutrition. Um, so we do lots of different things, really. What's the difference between you and a nutritionist? So the easiest and most common way it'll be described is that a dietitian is a protected title. So we've had to go to university and done a undergraduate or a postgraduate degree and we're registered with the HCPC. Um, so we're all registered. We all have that protected title. Um, we don't have to work within the NHS. You know, we can work in, we can be consultant dietitians. You can work on projects. You could have your own business. You can do sports. You could do anything. Um, but we are protected and we are trained in working with the different kind of healthcare aspects of nutrition. A nutritionist, unfortunately, is not a protected title. So you could buy a certificate online and call yourself a nutritionist. Um, you could just set up a clinic and, you know, so they're not as, um, they're, it's not a protected title. They're not set to as many rules and regulations. That being said, there's a wealth of great nutritionists out there who have done a really good university degree. And there is a register for nutritionists. It's just that anyone can call themselves one. So if people are looking for a nutritionist, you should be looking for a registered one. Um, and they tend to work in more, um, less acutely unwell patients, more public health um, and more kind of optimising health. Um, that's a big generalisation. There's a lot of roles within nutritionists as well. But the main thing is we're a protected title with the HCPC. And I know nutritionists are fighting to um, get that changed. So it's a watch this space at the minute. So Re, for people who might not necessarily come across a dietitian within healthcare or maybe don't know who they speak to as a carer and watching like their family member or friend go through it, if I was a patient, how would you holistically assess my needs to make sure I get through my treatment? So we have a system which I think a lot of different professions have a system. So we have like an A to E system and it's really that's a really basic version of it. Um and I think a lot of patients think we ask really random questions that have nothing to do with the food. But what we're trying to do is we're, we're building a picture because if you think your food and your nutrition is such a big part of your life, right? It's what we do to fuel ourselves, but it's also what we do for enjoyment. It's what we do when we're sad. It's what we do when we care for people. It's a hobby to cook and bake. It's how we share. It's you sit around the dinner table. So we're trying to build a picture of you as a person so we're looking at, and then we're also trying to build a picture of you as a patient and kind of your clinical picture as well and trying to navigate the two together because we want to make sure that the advice we're giving you is not just general, but it's applicable to a patient so that they can actually go away and use that information and apply it. Um, so we might, you know, we'll make sure we're asking about things like your weight and your weight loss and your weight change but also your strength so you may not have lost weight but you might have lost strength and you're not able to do the things you wanted to do and that's a big important thing for you um but then we'll also look at kind of what's your diagnosis what's your treatment plan and how do we think that's then going to affect your nutrition right now and down the line or what is your treatment doing to affect your 
um, intake at the minute. So is, have you got any side effects like nausea or taste changes? Um, and then we do get to the food bit. We do ask all about what you're eating, what you can eat, what you can't eat, thinking about if your diagnosis has affected that in a specific way as well. Um, and then also like who's helping with that, the food and things. Um, and psychologically as well, you know, is that impacting you? A lot of patients we have are only able to take liquids and that's a big change or they're not able to enjoy food anymore or they're not able to sit and have dinner with their wife or, you know, the husband's worried that you're not drink, you're not eating much. So it's building that bigger picture so that we're not just giving that nutrition advice, but we're making sure all the other needs are met as well. So we're giving that holistic picture. It might be referring to the physiotherapist to build their strength. It might be psychological support. Or, you know, like with um, when we pre-assess our head and neck patients, we get a lot of patients that are really anxious about going for their radiotherapy. So it might even just be, you know, calling on you guys and saying to the therapeutic radiographers, like, this person's anxious is just to let you know, like, if you can help reassure them before so that everyone's aware. But I think all of the teams, you know, all the therapies and the allied health professionals, we all try and work as holistically as possible. Um, so I think a lot of patients are surprised that we're not just asking about what you eat and telling you what to eat, but trying to build that picture of you and work it around what works for you. And actually also thinking about what your aims and priorities are within that as well. Um, so there's no point me, if it's not a priority for you, then I need to figure out how we work together. Um, and also incorporating kind of people's beliefs and cultures as well, because if someone's a vegetarian, there's no point me telling them they need to go eat more meat. So we do try and, we do get a bit nosy actually. And I love it because I'm a nosy person. Oh, I should have been a dietitian. Bree, <laughs> <laughs> can I ask, does every cancer patient have access to a dietitian? And should they, if they don't? Unfortunately not. Um, it feels like we see everyone because we're a very busy hospital, but unfortunately not. Um, I wouldn't say everyone needs to because I think there is a lot of good advice out there um, if you're signposted to the right places. And I think, again, a big part of our job is making sure that signposting is available um, or we're educating other members of the team on that signposting. Um, so using sites like our British Dietetic Association or Macmillan or the World Cancer Research Fund. Um, because the general advice for people with cancer is the same. If you've not got any problems or there's no specific nutritional needs um, we would generally see people who have got specific problems or side effects of treatment or risk factors so we mainly use what we call a nutrition screening tool which has been validated in oncology um, and it's used in a few oncology trusts um, so if people score highly on that they trigger a referral to us but we do accept you know if patients have just got general questions they will we're happy to take those referrals they might just be not seen as quickly as say someone who's acutely unwell and their nutrition may be risking them not being able to maintain treatment or not be able to start treatment um so i think 
we we have a lot of kind of um, we have things like called starter packs where we ask our clinical nurse specialists if they're asking about nutrition and they're concerned they can give them a few supplements to try but they can also give them a booklet on a few pointers around most of the common side effects um, that are that people experience and it's a good starting point for them and then we ask them to refer if they're triggering on our screening tool. Got a controversial, provocative question, Ree. Wouldn't wouldn't be able to have anyone on the podcast without it. But do you think it's every registered healthcare professional's role to be talking about healthy eating? I think everyone's got a part to play in general overall health. So I think that's healthy eating and mental well-being and physical activity. Um, I think there's a difficult line where a lot of people think they know about nutrition because they eat, if that makes sense. Um, but I think, yeah, I think everyone's got a role in kind of asking those questions about nutrition and seeing if people are having problems, but also knowing where to signpost people to about the general healthy eating advice or the right advice for the right population group. Um, the same as, you know, we have a role in knowing that basic knowledge on activity and the importance of it. And again, knowing to refer to the physiotherapists or signpost them to, we have a really good um, web page which has videos and links to the right information. Um, because that's a really good starting point for everyone, isn't it? To, to go away and read a little bit. And if they want to know more or they have specific needs, we refer them into the right team. So, and I think that's why we do try and make sure we have a lot of training across our trust. So and we're, for example, arranging training for our outpatient nurses and for our, we have a 24 hour hotline. So I've been put in charge of sorting out training the new members of staff on the hotline so that they can when someone calls on a Saturday and we're not there, they can give that basic bit of education, but also signpost to the right places. Um, but yeah, I think it, it works kind of other ways as well. You made a really good point that everyone's got life experience just because we all eat. You know, it, it's such a good point. And I think going back to something you said earlier about different normals and cultures and beliefs, like everyone does eat for a purpose. It doesn't have to be to gain weight. It could just be to enjoy it. Like I love just having a tub of Ben and Jerry's if I can, but I'm not training for an Ironman anymore, so I can't get away with it. But it's stuff like no. that where you know your new normal and you figure out what works, what doesn't work, and some days you just want to eat a tub of Ben and Jerry's. Exactly, and I think that's why we all are a bit ir against those kind of what do I eat in a day and etc. Because what I eat in a day is irrelevant to what you eat in a day because we do different jobs, we have different likes, we have different we might have different medical backgrounds. We might do different amounts of exercise. I know I've never trained for an Ironman and I don't intend to, <laughs> but that's why I think it is really important that we, well, there is general information out there, but ultimately I'm quite passionate about it being patient centered and also patients being aware that it's their journey and not even just patient, you know, the general population should think of them as an individual and what works for them. Can I ask about um, weight stigma? Um, because it's something that we definitely see within radiotherapy and across diagnostic services. You know, we've had patients before who've contacted RadChat and it, it shared very sad stories around weight stigma that exists. Um, 
from some healthcare professionals or within some departments. What's your experience of that? And and how can we do more to kind of protect people who maybe do experience weight stigma? I think it's a, a big topic, isn't it? Um, and it's there's a lot more work around weight stigma and improving um, patients' experiences. Um, we, you know, we have that thing that people might see a bigger person and think, oh, they're not unwell because they're not skinny or they're not visibly um, unwell. Or I have had it times where people, you know, they've lost a lot of weight and they say, but that's okay because they're overweight, their BMI's high. But that's not what we're looking at. We're looking at if that person has lost weight, why is that? And have they lost muscle? And we don't know the background story of um, how people's overall health is. Um, I, I hope and I think there is a shift towards people looking at overall health rather than just weight and BMI. Um, and I know it extends further into so many areas, um, like just not having the right equipment for people that are, are larger. Um, I think it's an area there's a lot more work to do, but I think there's a lot of dietitians, nutritionists out there and other healthcare professionals who are doing a lot of work in the um, kind of primary care setting and hoping that education from university level of all areas is, is improving. Um, as well as kind of like the public knowledge as well. But I think it is a bit of, a, it's still a big problem at the minute. It just thankfully works where it's not as bad. What's your thoughts on BMI? I think it is a really good way to assess populations. I think it's not, it's one thing I look at. I wouldn't, if someone showed me a BMI, there's so much more around it. Um, and I don't think on an individual basis it would be my BNN door. You know, you can see a BMI and you see, you know, I had someone who had a BMI 14. I've got a person with a BMI 14 in my clinic tomorrow. I was just prepping them. Um, but it's where that's come from. She's only ever been a BMI of 16. So she's she's definitely underweight. And I can see that there. But then actually, it's doing a bit of digging. Is she strong? Is she eating well? Is she stable? Um, and the same on the other end of the spectrum is that person technically um, in the obese or overweight BMI, but they might have a really large muscle mass. They might eat really healthily and exercise loads. And they're just, that's just where their weight is. And it's much better to be an active, eating well, mentally well-being is good at a BMI of 30 than it is to be 25 and eating Snickers every meal. Um, so I, I think on a population and a research basis, it's got its use. And I don't say it's got no use within the clinical practice. I just think it's a, it's not a one look at thing. It's definitely the bigger picture. So Ray, people who are going to have treatment, what can they do to prepare I know that's quite generic because there's lots of different treatment sites, but there's lots mm -hmm. of different silly, fancy diets out there or things to cut out or have this smoothie, but be upside down and drink it and then it'll help, that sort of thing. How do you navigate through all of that rubbish? I think if you're someone who is not struggling with their nutrition, so a not really having any specific needs and able to eat their normal, um, it's about 
having a healthy balanced diet really unfortunately nothing we say is you know it's it's not exciting whereas things like drink a smoothie three times a day for x amount of time and wonders will happen is more exciting but i have to remind patients it's not exciting but it's evidence-based and it's actually easier to follow is just having a generally healthy balanced diet um making sure your weight is stable if you can and you're active and so i always break down a healthy balanced diet to the the main components are getting your carbohydrates for your energy um so that's your pastas breads potatoes cereals whatever you kind of like and enjoy um having your protein protein's a big thing especially in the cancer patients um uh, the protein needs are a little bit higher than the general population um and that's really important for maintaining your strength and your muscle mass um which we always kind of bang on about but it's because that's what we want to preserve and keep that kind of mobility and that quality of life um so we want people to be having protein throughout the day um ideally kind of meal times and that's looking at having like your eggs your meats your fish um or a bit of dairy nuts have a bit of protein um there are kind of plant based alternatives and not as high in protein but things like tofu are quite good um so we're not saying everyone has to eat meat but it's just making sure there is some proteins in there beans pulses um and then eating your fruit and vegetables so um getting di- a different variety and if you can um and whatever but it's all about kind of within what you enjoy as well um and then keeping active so we do kind of we're not physiotherapists we're not experts in it but you know just encouraging activity whether that is just cleaning or walking or whatever kind of level you do just maintaining it for as, as much as possible um so it's nothing groundbreaking but um the basics are sometimes the best and that's why we we'd also direct people to places like world cancer research um fund which is a really good site that um it takes those general questions a lot of people have before treatment so should i follow a vegan diet should i cut out sugar should i just cut out red meat and it kind of explains why um not to kind of go any, make any drastic changes if possible um but that being said we do have patients who come in and have um made big changes and if if that's something that they want to follow we're here to kind of support people's beliefs and choices and just trying to make sure that that's done in a safe and sustainable way can you tell us a little bit about um carcinogens and food because i know again a lot of people kind of maybe pick up information about certain things that they can't have like burnt toast you know that's something i definitely hear across social media and from maybe not very reliable sources when people are like you know don't eat burnt toast it's going to give you cancer um can you kind of clarify some of those myths that you, you, I'm sure you would typically hear about through your role as well? Yeah, the burnt toast one I've not heard in a very long time, actually. Um, I'm hoping that one's going out the window, which would be good, wouldn't it? Um, there's, if you went on the internet, you'll find anything and everything will give you cancer if you eat it right. Um, so what 
the, the only, we kind of look at all the evidence and the research out there that is on big populations and certain in terms of nutrition the research and evidence is to have that healthy basic diet not to cut out big food groups not to cut out specific foods and on the other side one food won't help prevent cancer um so you know a blueberry is not a superfood it's not going to help prevent cancer um the 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 link we we do know about you know there's certain tumor groups which are linked to certain intakes so red meat and processed food if you're eating that in excess for a long period that has been shown to increase your risk of getting bowel cancer but that's not a, a given um, and that's again part of a healthy balanced diet is to to minim to reduce that amount but not to not have it so it's it depends on the question and the myth um, and where it's come from it's also finding out from patients and people where they've found that from or what they think the process is and kind of explaining the science behind it or um, the research we do have um, so we, we get a lot about kind of like dairy is not good because it has hormones in but actually the hormones in the cow that gets the dairy won't be passed on so you won't be getting those hormone levels um, and the, the British Dietetic Association actually has a, a really good sheet that um, our specialist oncology group have written, kind of explains each of those common myths, the World Cancer Research Fund again, and Trek Stocks, a really good charity that's got a leaflet, our one has it in. So you can find lots of places that will explain each one. Um, but all the, the big evidence and research base is that a healthy, balanced diet um, is your key and as I said it's it's not crazy exciting but it, it's back to basics and it, and it works um one of my last questions Ray is specifically around um supplements um I absolutely get lots of patients asking should I be taking x y or z or you know we have lots of um people with breast cancer who might be going through the menopause and may have sleep issues, um, hot flushes, and they often ask the question around kind of supplements or or herbal alternatives. Is there anything as a dietitian that you would advocate people use? Um, on as a general rule of thumb, we would always say you know eating vitamins and minerals through your food is the best way. Because it's not just the vitamin and mineral, you get it with the fibre and you get the different levels within the different foods. Um, so as a rule of thumb, we'd say try and just have in, enough variety in your diet to have it. Um, we also, people who are on treatment, um, so if they're on chemotherapy or radiotherapy, we actually try and avoid anyone having high doses of vitamins, particularly antioxidants it's actually negatively impacts their treatment um so you may have patients on like vitamin c tablets and we really advocate people stopping that if people are worried that they're not getting enough vitamins and minerals to their diet because of not eating as well or restricted or just don't have much variety we do say people could have a multivitamin uh, so that, that covers all a to z but we also make sure that we're educating them on having 
something that doesn't provide more than 100% their RNI, which is their reference nutrient intake. Um, because we don't want to have those extra high levels. Um, in terms of kind of like those herbal remedies as well, we don't advocate them and we always say, but again, it's about talking with the patient because it's where's that come from? Why do they want to take it? What are their beliefs around it? Um, and supporting them and educating them and also talking to their, their team. So a lot of the time it's speaking with the pharmacists and the consultants about if that's safe to have. Um, and it's it's managing it that way. Ultimately, it's a patient decision, but there isn't a bit similar to foods. There's no super supplement, which is going to improve your chances of the cancer um, being treated with the treatment. The main thing to do is support yourself through the treatment the team are providing. Um, and actually, sometimes the higher levels are um, worse. And we do look out for vitamin deficiencies as well. You know, it's not saying some people might be deficient. We have a lot of patients who don't fully absorb their food, so they're at risk of um, deficiencies. And we screen for that and we make sure that that's being replaced if need be. Um, and I think, but that's why we work with patients, because a lot of patients, it's the one thing they can control and they've got that hope that taking this tablet or this tea once a day is going to help and if that's safe to do so and they really want to then who are we to stop that bit of hope Re, we obviously work in oncology how do you look after yourself so as you said you talk to patients quite a lot in depth about their cancer diagnosis their diet like their nutrition and obviously towards palliative end-of-life care as well i think it's a hard area to work in and i think you have to accept that um, I think there's no point shying away from it. Um, and I'm very thankful that I work in an amazing team, um, across the board from the dietitians. I, you know, um, I've personal experience in having relatives with cancer and they could not do enough for me and could not be supportive enough. And I think that makes a big difference. It kind of makes you want to go to work um and it's not just the dietitians you know it's the speech therapist we sit in the office with it's the clinical nurse specialist you know i saw one today for the first time massive hug um it's knowing you're appreciated and cared for um and i think it's talking about it when it's hard it's not pretending it's not so you know we i was off for six weeks and in that time we lost I lost three of my patients that I knew quite well and one of them really hit me and it's just saying that that one hurt but they did and in that it is that the certain ones hit you harder than others um but also the patients are worth it you know it sounds weird but you get we were saying this today actually in the office you get excited about such small things but it makes your day you know, you have a head and neck patient who has not been eating and they get to a point, they're eating a McDonald's and I'm like, that's all they wanted to do. And that's just made my day. Or someone was stuck in bed for six weeks and they've got themselves up and gone to the toilet. Like that's a big deal. And you get excited about them. And also when you get to achieve their goals of, you know, some people just want to get home and you got them home to spend time with their family 
Um, and it's also knowing that if your cancer's everywhere, right, one in two people get it, but we're on the right side of the story and we're helping people have a better quality of life. We might be helping them have a bit more time and time is a big thing. You might think, you know, three months flies by in general life, but three months more of memories gets you to another birthday, an anniversary, a wedding or whatever. So being on that side of the story it makes it worth it. But I think surrounding yourself with a good team. Um, and we also have a really good um, staff support team. We're, we're really lucky with that as well. Um, so, But I think talking about when it's difficult is important with whether that's your friends or colleagues. Um, and also sometimes the patients actually. So I, I still, it's hard, but it is worth working in. Re, we're coming towards the end of the episode. Do you have any top tips for us? Top tips, I think, would be kind of as I said before, think of yourself as an individual and look at your own lifestyle and diet and goals and aims, not the person next to you or even the person in your household. Um, it would be everyone to educate themselves on kind of basic nutritional advice, um, whether that's through podcasts or um reading websites or um there's lots of youtube videos out there now by the royal sorry dietitians as well um and i would say a third one would always be look at what you can add in to life and your diet um, rather than taking things out if you can look at it on a positive spin so thank you so much for coming on re it's been great it's been very interesting to hear your perspective as a dietitian. Thank you all for listening to Rad Chat. Your hosts today have been Naman Jokansson and Joe McNamara. If you're utilizing this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with the links to resources and literature we've discussed. To receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the form linked to the podcast. So our next guest to feature will be Isla Veal, who will be discussing her role as an oncology physiotherapist. Thank you for listening and take care.